Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. If you've been in church most of your life, that's a passage of Scripture that you were undoubtedly familiar with. Jesus being tempted. There is a very similar account in Luke chapter 4. The only significant difference that I can recall between Matthew's account and Luke's is that at the end of Luke's it says, And the devil left him until an opportune time. So Luke indicates that you know this wasn't the end of Jesus being tempted. We have no idea how many times Christ might have been tempted during his earthly life. But what we do know is that he gives us a very clear example of how to deal with temptation, doesn't he, church? To say, get away from me, Satan. How many times in our lives have we had to utter that? You know, maybe, maybe not out loud if you're around other people, right? That might. But when, when we're, we feel tempted to do something, if you're not in the habit of saying it, I highly encourage it. But of course we know that temptation is only effective based on the desires that we already hold within our hearts. And so, as I've discussed at least once before with this body, it's up to us then to change the desires of our hearts. You change the desire... And then you take away the effectiveness of the temptation. We want to become more like Jesus as we've been talking about the last several weeks. Then part of becoming more like Jesus is that we are going to be able to get better at resisting temptation. What we're talking about today is self-control. 
We've been looking at it, sort of unpacking the fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I'm going to stop right there with gentleness for a moment. Because up to that point, every one of these are an attribute of God, aren't they? Every single one of them. We know that God is love, that God brings joy, that God gives us His peace, that God is patient. We look at Scripture, we saw how patient God was with the Israelites. If we think about our own lives, I think we could all admit and agree that God has been patient with us. The number of times that we've been lured away by the shiny things of the world. But then we get down to self-control. Self-control is the exception, church. It's the outlier. It's the one that is not an attribute of God. God doesn't need self-control because God cannot be tempted. Jesus, who's God in the flesh, shows us, as we just read, that He cannot be tempted. And that verse that Daryl read this morning from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we heard from Him and declare that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And then it goes on to say, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that good news, church? Ooh. Fellowship with Christ. That his blood cleanses us from all sin. And so there we have it that God is light. There is no darkness in Him at all. God does not need to exercise self-control. Now, the human creatures made in His image, it's not the same for us, is it? If you go back and look, in Galatians 5, in those previous verses, as I mentioned last week, we get a whole list of what we're like left to our own devices. Haven't spent a lot of time on the ugly list. I don't think I need to. We know that list. That list is in our nature. So it's this list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we need to be concerning ourselves with. Paul is telling us if you want to bear fruit, if you want to show what the light looks like, then these are the attributes that you foster within yourself. 
These are the things that you work on. These are the things you concentrate on. These are the things that you show the world. And so we have these verses that remind us about light and darkness. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but from Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is, a, is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Telling us, Paul is, Hey, y'all wake up. Wake up. And let the light of Jesus shine on you. And then you can reflect that light to other people. Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. There's going to come a day, church, when all of our sins are known. But if we've already confessed those sins, if we've already repented of those sins, what's going to be the problem? We have a Savior that Scripture tells us is our advocate. You know what an advocate is, right? Somebody that stands up for you. Someone who speaks for you. Someone who has your back. And so when all of those sins are out in the open on that day of days, and we're asked that question, did you do all this? And we have no choice but to stand before the righteous throne of the Almighty and say, yes, I did it all. And there's that voice that comes from the side that says, but it's okay, Father. For my blood was shed for this one as well. Because He ultimately is our Savior. And He is our advocate. And so what should we do in response to this Savior and this advocate? What should we do, church, in response to the idea of self-control? We have to learn to practice it, don't we? The only person we can control is who, church? It's the face we see in the mirror, right? It's ourselves. If you go through life trying to control other people, I'll tell you it's a bad idea. Controlling manipulative people, those are not fruit-bearing people. The only person we can control is ourselves. And so we should work on doing that. Scripture gives us uh, a couple of examples that come to mind of what it looks like to exercise self-control and what it looks like to really blow it. Both come from the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament Scriptures. And in Genesis 37, we're introduced to Joseph. 
And in long about Genesis 39... We've, we've gotten to that part where, okay, Joseph has been sold into slavery by some jealous older brothers, and he ends up in the land of Egypt. And so, while in Egypt, he ends up in the house of an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And it is while in Potiphar's house that Potiphar notices that Joseph is very capable. Joseph is a responsible young man. And so Joseph then is put in charge of all of his household, all of his affairs. Now, Potiphar's role calls him to be away, as we might say in today's vernacular, away on business. And so Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. Genesis tells us that He was well-built and handsome. And so Potiphar's wife is attracted to him. And many of you know the story well. And that she makes advances toward him. And he responds by saying, you know, I can't do that. Because my master has trusted me with everything within his house. And that includes you. And he says, I cannot betray my master's trust. To the point that his faithfulness ends up putting him in jail. Willing to be that faithful. Willing to turn down that temptation. Willing to exercise his own self-control to the point that there was a price to be paid for his innocence and his faithfulness. And then we move forward and we look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we are in David's story. He is king of Israel and that chapter opens by saying something to the effect of in the springtime when kings are off at war. And then it goes on to say, and David was in the palace. Now wait a second. It's the springtime. Shouldn't the king be off at war? Yeah, he should be. How many times, church, do we get in trouble when we're not where we're supposed to be? Right? And so David can't sleep and he's out on his balcony and he sees something that he should not have seen. But instead of averting his eyes like someone who's exercising self-control, he sins for one of his aides and says, Hey, who is that? Find out for me. Oh, that's Bathsheba. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So, David knows up front, not only should he not have been looking, not only when he saw something he shouldn't have, you could make the case that he didn't intend and he saw it, but instead of averting his eyes, he gazes upon her beauty. And then he goes the next step. He sends for someone who can get information about her. 
He's told up front, that is a married woman. And at that point, once again, instead of dropping it, what does he do, church? He says, bring her to me. Bad move. Bad move. But, if someone was to open the book of Greg, or the book of, you insert your name, at some point there's going to be some bad moves, aren't there, church? At some point we all make bad moves. It may not be adultery, and it may not be premeditated murder. I hope not. But nonetheless... What do we all believe about sin? That in the eyes of God, sin is what? It's sin. Bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it's, it's that too. But in the eyes of God, sin is sin. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. Wait a second. Premeditated murder is on the same level as gossip? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because that's the way God sees it. Because anything we do that does not reflect the light of our Father, the light of our Savior, it doesn't matter. Sin is sin. And so we see in Scripture these examples of people who are faithful and we see examples of people who are unfaithful. The good news about David is the Hebrews writer would later say that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because when confronted with his sin, he owned it. He said, I have sinned against God. And that is exactly what God asks us to do. But the point of today's message is not so much as how to respond to sin, but to call us to a place where we know better, where we acknowledge that we know better, and we don't engage in that sin in the first place, church. In James chapter 3, Beginning with verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. At the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so church... Right there, we have another example of something where we have to learn to exercise self-control, don't we? 
I was talking to a neighbor of mine recently and mentioned to him what I was preaching on. And he said, well boy, you get to self-control, you might want to throw some James in there. He said, because boy, and he acted like he was zipping those lips. He said, boy, that's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? And I said, brother, it is. It is. Little did he know I'd already planned to use some James in this message this morning. He and I are on the same page. That one of the greatest areas in our lives that we have to learn, and I say we, myself included, that we have to exercise self-control is in what we say. Because words matter. And words can hurt. And words can do damage, church. Whether it's words we're saying to an individual and we are being very unkind, or it's words that we are saying about someone else that are unkind. Church family, let's be a spring of fresh water with our words. That's what God calls us to be. Other areas where we have to exercise self-control might include anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. This is often used in the context of marriage. But church, it applies to more than just marriage. Anger, if it's something you wrestle with, that's something you have to appeal to God and get control over. Having pride is a problem with our shortcomings, church. If we're constantly saying, hey, it's okay, I can handle this. I can handle this. Well, so often we cannot. If we could handle everything... Why would we need the Almighty Father? Why would we have needed a Savior in the first place? No, we can't handle everything. So why not be a person who has enough humility to say, God, I need your help. Because God is with us in those moments. We say, God, I need your help. His response is, absolutely, I am right here. So we should be people who don't just confess our sins to God, but that we appeal to God for the help that we need. Not to be people who have so much pride. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Psalm 107, 13 and 14, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. Now what does the psalmist tell us there, church? Say they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He said, figure it out on your own. No. He saved them from their distress. We have a problem with our tongue? Ask God for help. 
We have a problem with anger? Ask God for help. We have a problem with faithfulness in different areas of our lives? Ask God for help. He brought them out of what, church? Out of darkness. The utter darkness. And broke away their chains. Rick reminded us this morning about how we were sins. That just as, just as the Israelite nations celebrated the Passover meal to remind themselves of God's deliverance from Egyptian bondage, that we celebrate the Lord's Supper today to remind ourselves that we were delivered from the bonds of sin. And that He has taken away our chains. Because God is faithful and God is capable, church. So why would we have so much pride that prevents us from availing ourselves to His power in our lives? Ephesians 4, 22 and 23. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And that's it right there, church. Corrupted by our deceitful desires, that we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Those of us who have been buried and have risen out of the water of baptism as new creation, we need to take that very seriously. Because saved people need to act like saved people. Made new in the attitude of our minds. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning comes from Titus 2. 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Let us be those people, church, a people who are eager to do what is good. Let's be people who understand that we've been taught to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's not, not who we are anymore. God says to us every day, you're better than that. You are better than that. And at that moment that we think about doing something... Paul writes to the folks in Corinth that every time we're tempted, he gives us a way out. 
there's that voice inside of us that says, this is not right. What is that voice? That voice is the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Because Scripture reminds us that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it's that Spirit within us that says, You know better. Don't do that. Don't step back into the darkness. For you are a child of light. God help us to be those people of light. It's a challenging message to us this morning, church. But it's one that if we embrace, we should take comfort in. That God will help us with our lack of self-control. And that Jesus shed His blood for every one of our sins. So church, if you need to respond this morning, because maybe your life has not been one where you've been walking in the light, and you want to confess that, and you want to ask for the prayers of the congregation, maybe there's something else that you need help with, that you need the prayers of a faithful body to pray with you over that concern. And if you're here this morning and you are not yet a child of light, then we offer baptism after you confess that Jesus is the Son of God and you can change your life forever. Let's stand and sing. We walk with the